the Philippines that are streaming live with us now, and hello to everyone everywhere, anytime, because some of you will be watching this uh, as a recording. You'll be watching it at a future date, and so we say welcome. Welcome to you. Welcome to this time, uh, this message, this moment to worship the Lord. I want to speak a little bit about things that have happened uh, in the prior week uh, uh, in terms of churches and gatherings. Obviously, we are still here at PCFLA as of today, as of May 24th, Memorial Day weekend, um, uh, having a service online only. So other than the uh, very few gentlemen that are here gathered with me in the sanctuary, our facilities are not yet open to the public. Uh, but I do want to say more about what we can expect in days ahead regarding that. But before I, I do that, I want to pray. And in fact, I'd like to embed the, the, those comments, those remarks, into my message, into the sermon today. For one thing, I want to do that because I want to be focused on Jesus. Will you say that out loud? Say it loudly. Say it proudly. Say it desperately, if you will. Say it from the bottom of your heart. Say it with me. I want to be focused on Jesus. Let's say it together. Are you ready? I want to be focused on Jesus. First, last, always, foremost, Jesus. He's who I'm following. He's who I need. He's who's guiding me. He's who's got me and you in his hands. He's with us. He's speaking, but so are many others, including yours truly. <laughs> I've said to more than a few people this week, I'm tired of the sound of my own voice. You can turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, me too. It's okay, I can't hear you. The, you know, the dog next to you just looks at you like, hmm? Hopefully, it's a dog. I'm not talking about anyone other than your pet, just to be sure. Listen, there's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of information. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the world that we live in. And when things are going wrong or going wild, the volume of all of that, both in terms of quantity and in terms of noise, tends to increase. And I understand that. Like I say, I, I'm part of that. I make my contributions to that too. But I want to be focused on Jesus. I want to hear Jesus first. I want him to be the one that's guiding me first. Through it all, even as I'm listening to others. And Jesus calls us to listen to others. It's important to listen to others. And I don't just mean people who say what you say, because everybody listens to people who say what they say. I mean listening to people who say what you don't say, who say what you don't like, who say what you don't agree with. Now, I don't mean to say that you listen to all of that. I don't mean to say that you listen to it indiscriminately. But I do mean to say that even according to the Word of God, it's important to be quick to listen and slow to anger. But in the midst of listening to anything else, anyone else, in the middle of it, I'm also listening always for Jesus, or I want to be. 
I mean, I'll confess to you, I'm not always. And that's where Jesus has been getting a hold of me, even this week, and saying, now listen to me. Remember, I'm in this. Remember, I'm speaking. Remember, says Jesus, even when I'm silent, I'm speaking through my silence. Jesus can say something just by saying nothing at all. You want a biblical reference for it? You say, well, would he do that when the situation was so severe and the stakes were so high? That's exactly when he did. Standing on trial, unjustly, before the governor of his region. And he stood silent. And Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you? And then Jesus spoke and said, you wouldn't have any power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus knows what to say and when to say it. And Jesus knows when to be silent. And what you and I should know is that in all of that, Jesus is speaking. Jesus speaking first. Jesus speaking in everything, always. And last, the last words that I want to be meditating on as I go to sleep at night are words of and about Jesus that lead me to Jesus. The last word on decisions should be a word that comes from Christ or has been shaped by his hand, by his word, by his governance, by his guidance. I want to be focused on Jesus. But wanting, as good as it is, needs to produce praying. Because it's praying that will open our ears. It's praying that will open our hearts. It's praying that will renew our minds. Not so much our part of the prayer, although there is a point of participation for us. But it's how God engages us in prayer. It's how we hear from God when we pray that shapes who we are today and prepares us for tomorrow, shields us with faith. Let's pray. Lord, we repent right now of an attitude that even when it's focused on you, can somehow overlook you. I'm praying this for myself because I know it's true of myself. And yet I'm praying it with my brothers and sisters, because I believe that it is true probably of all of us. And so I'm asking, Lord, we are asking together in the Spirit, in your Spirit, that you would open our ears to you first, always, and last. That you would open our hearts continually to you and shield them with the faith that comes from you. We are praying, Lord, that as we open your word today, you would open your word to us and open us to your word. We're praying that you would cleanse us from the confusion that wraps itself around us like a virus, like a serpent. 
We're asking that you would release us from the anxiety that we wrap ourselves in because it's so frightening to be vulnerable. That we would rather be wrapped in anxiety or anguish, in agony or in anger, than to stand naked and face the world. Than to stand naked and face you. But today, we drop anxiety and anger. We ask you to strip them from us, Lord, so that we could stand naked in front of you and let you clothe us in your garments of righteousness. That you would wrap up, Lord, our wayward robes in the belt of your truth. That you would grant to us, Lord, a breastplate of righteousness that covers our heart so that our heart could remain soft because your righteousness is strong. So that we could keep breathing in the Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And so that we could keep going, advancing on the battlefield for victory. With feet shod in the preparation of the good news, the shoes of the good news on our feet, carrying the evangel with us, so that everywhere that the sole of our foot treads, the soul of God would imprint, and people of God would be born like fruit from a harvest. We ask, Lord, that you would grant to us today the shield of faith and the strength to raise it so as to quench every fiery missile of the wicked one. And we believe that when we pray this way, we are praying according to your will in the name of Jesus. And so we believe by faith that in that name and by your will, it is done. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Listen. What do you hear right now? I don't know where you are. Where I am, I can hear the air coming through the vent. I can hear the the metal workings in that shaft vibrating by the pulsing of the air through our ventilation system. I can hear a faint hum of the electric lights that are illuminating me. And as I speak, I can hear the sound of my own voice. But if I silence my voice, And I just stand here for a moment and allow you, wherever you are, to do the same. What do we hear? There is something to be heard in between the noises. 
something to be heard in between the silence, in between the spaces, someone to be found present with us. And it's God. I'm mainly speaking, I imagine, today in this audience to people who are part of PCF, Praise Christian Fellowship, here in Los Angeles. I love you, brothers and sisters. I miss you. I wish that there was a way that I could reach through this camera and touch you, except that I believe there is a way that I can do that, or if not me, if not I, then the Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now you would feel something of a physical kind of touch, an almost palpable sense of greeting from me to you, a hug, a handshake, a warm embrace, to tell you I'm praying for you. Hazel's praying for you. All the pastors are praying for you. We love you. We feel your prayer for us. Thank you for your prayer for us. We need it always, and we receive it gladly, and we know that the Lord uses your prayers to protect and sustain us so that we might persevere. And we believe that the Lord does the same with our prayers to you. So we are together in that silence throughout the day. You can't hear me except if you're watching this recording or you're streaming the service or you're on a Zoom call, but you can't hear me all the time. You can never hear me all the time, and I'm sure you're glad about that. Sometimes I wish I couldn't hear me. Sometimes I'd like to turn my own brain off and let that voice go silent for a while. But my point is this. Even when you can't hear me, even when you don't see me, I'm praying for you, and I'm appreciating your prayers for me. And there's a way in which we are together by faith. And maybe in a time like this, in these extraordinary circumstances, maybe you are feeling something of what I'm feeling, which is that is coming more real to me. And I cherish that. There's something hugely valuable about that, that awareness that there's a connection between us that goes beyond the physical and yet is very real. Every bit is real, maybe more real than the physical, but which is almost never attended to in our modern way of thinking and in our modern world because we are so dedicated to the materiality that we live in. We're so dedicated to the sensual life that we live. What I mean by that is the life of the senses, of what I see and what I hear and what I can feel and what I can touch. And that's real and that's all that is real. But that is not all that is real. Because between the noises and beneath the noises, something is being spoken. And in what cannot be seen, in, in the invisible, is something that can be seen by faith in the Spirit. And beyond what can be known and processed through the biochemical miracle of our brains and our bodies that God has created, nevertheless, the sum total of all those synapses and interactions is not everything that we think. Because we are spiritual beings made by a living spirit who is God. We have a soul in the image of God. And so there are thoughts that go beyond thought. And in this season of time, 
if the Spirit would hear, or rather I should say, if the church would hear what the Spirit is saying, I believe the church is hearing the Lord speaking in these ways, by faith, through faith, with faith. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes to the earth, will he find faith? He will, because he has secured it. I want to tell you something right now. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Is he the Lord of your life? Don't answer too quickly. Do you obey what he asks you to do? That's what makes him Lord of your life. Not saying that he is Lord, but doing what he asks you to do. My track record on that is, shall I say generously to myself, less than 100%. I have a less than 100% success rate at doing what Jesus asks me to do today. <laughs> what time is it? It's not even 11 a.m. and I have a less than 100% success rate at doing everything that Jesus asked me to do in the way that he asks me to do it and when he asks me to do it. Somebody out there is saying, well, I don't even know what he's asking me to do. Do you think, friend, dear one, listen, do you think that's because he's not speaking? Do you think that your lack of knowledge about what God wants for you has anything to do with a lack of interest or ability on the part of God? Really? Or is it far more likely that it has to do with us, you and me, because we're alike, doing our own thing, going our own way, filling our mouths with our words? We are expert at convincing ourselves that what we say is right, it's good. And if sometimes we say the wrong thing, well, we're only human. But for the most part, by and large, what I think is right. What I say is right. The way I do it is right. You know why sometimes we are less than intimate with God? Because God shakes that whole delusion. He begins to reveal to us here, 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 and here is where you're going wrong, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, feeling the wrong thing. And we look at that and go, ah, I don't want to see that. I'm naked with that. So we cover ourselves up with postures and stances and opinions that we are persuaded are right and true and good. And we become so utterly attached to those and convinced of them that we actually begin to think that that is God. That's the voice of the Lord. Or if we don't use that kind of terminology, if we're not religious people, then we use other phrases. That's logic. That's morality. That's compassion. That's the scientific data. But all of it really is that's what I'm using to cover myself. And I'm not saying that as a, <laughs> can I stop and say, this is just me, Courtney Hall's opinion. I think it's ludicrous 
that the entire nation is debating about these things. I think, if I may say so, and I may offend you in saying this, but I'm just going to say it, that's stupid. That is a stupid debate. People say, well, there's really important stuff about it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there is, but it's a stupid debate, in my humble opinion. You say, well, I thought you weren't supposed to be all about opinions. Well, I'm putting it out there as my opinion, so you can flesh that if you want. But it, it goes to my point. My point is, we can argue about anything. In the days of Jesus, do you think that it was so different? When you look at the 12 that Jesus assembled as his apostles, he had assembled 12 men of really different backgrounds. Some of them had similar backgrounds and had, had relationships with each other as friends or even as brothers. But if you look at the, at the, the total of the 12, you had, you had zealots represented there. You had probably Essenes represented there. Some have suggested that, that uh, Judas, who uh, ultimately obviously betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot, may have had a relationship with or some training from the Pharisees because he coordinates with the Pharisees ultimately to betray Jesus. Whether that's accurate or not, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus had a Pharisee among his 12. Many times people have suggested that the real replacement for Judas, when Judas obviously betrayed and, and took his own life, was the Apostle Paul, who was himself a Pharisee. So Jesus had these different political groups. That's what they were, essentially. Political, religious, theological groups. You could think of them as factions or denominations of the time. And there were, there were different ones. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and, and the Zealots who were um, intending to bring about political change or religious reform or who were interested in the economic policies of the day who felt that there were certain philosophical stances that Jesus should take. And they all fought with each other over and over again. When you read in the scriptures, you'll find these little moments, little places where it's rather clear that those 12 guys didn't get along so well. They disagreed with each other. One of them was saying, don't wear this doggone thing because it's actually giving in to some wrong notion and perhaps putting you at harm. And the other one is saying, if you really cared about people, you'd be wearing this thing. And if you don't, it shows that you don't care about people. And they would argue about these kinds of things. And Jesus had all 12 of them with him all the time. And you know what? In the middle of it, the message to them all the time was, follow, says Jesus, me. I want to be focused on Jesus. That's what he wanted to instill in them. It's not that those other things didn't matter. It's that you cannot come to the right understanding of any of those things on your own. You have to come to Christ. And then follow. So the question is again, are you following Christ? Isn't that what these gatherings every week are about? It's a fresh opportunity for you and I to remind each other, hey, we serve Jesus. Let's follow him. It's an opportunity for us to say, I struggle with that. And if you don't struggle with that, I don't know who you're following, but it can't possibly be Jesus because he's not easy to follow. Because he calls for really demanding things. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the call to obey is a call to the cross. And I don't think anyone comes to the cross easily. I think it's hard. So these gatherings are an opportunity for you and I to confess that, admit that, but also to build one another up on what? On our most holy, what? Our most 
holy faith. And our faith is, I follow Jesus, not I understand it all. I've got an answer for it all. I know the right thing to do. I have the right decision. That's not what we are called to be. And we should be careful of being that because that's what the Pharisees were. That's what the Sadducees were. That's what all of those those different groups were, but none of them had the answer. And yet the answer was right there in their midst. Sometimes speaking, sometimes silent, but always saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Put your faith in me, says Jesus. And even they, when they finally learned that, the 12 and Paul, they went out and said, as Paul said, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. That's what these gatherings are about. To say it's a struggle and it's not easy, but we renew once again on this first day of the week, on this Lord's Day, on this day of resurrection, because every Sunday for a believer is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday for a believer, because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father to you. And the Spirit comes when we, in one accord, say, I want to focus on Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want the will of the Father to be done. I want the Spirit of the Lord to come. And he does. And he brings with him faith to cover to protect, to connect, and to lead forward. Today in our series on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, we are looking at Ephesians 6.16, the shield of faith. Look at the passage of Scripture with me again, won't you? Paul has written to the Ephesians, on what it means to be people like this, people whose focus is Christ, who have let go of the things of the world. They're still living in the world. They're still concerned with the issues of the world, but they are not living for the world. They are living for Christ. And the way that they are living is so dramatically different than the way that we would live otherwise, than the way that the world lives. That it's a challenge that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to encourage them in and remind them of so that they, in seeing the glorious heavenly blessings that have been provided by Jesus Christ and understanding the life of the Spirit together into which we have been called, would enter into it together, living not by their own righteousness, but by the righteousness of God and armored not with their own protection, but with the armament of God. And so Paul writes and says, finally, understanding these things, understanding how important it is that you focus on Christ, that you recognize your unity with one another, that you bear with each other patiently and show love to each other, preferring the other above yourself. Finally, understanding all of that, be strong in that truth, be strong in the Lord himself, in his mighty power. The glorious truth about that statement is, even if you don't understand it, if you simply believe it, because it it goes beyond understanding, doesn't it? 
The miracles of who God is and what he does goes beyond our understanding, but we can believe and receive by faith. And in that, the joy of the Lord is transmitted to us and the joy of the Lord is our strength and the armament of God is placed upon us and that armor prepares us for a purpose, not just to cower and defend, but to come together and to collaboratively advance. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand not against other people, not against politicians or policies, not against countries or states, not against organizations or theories or dogmas or doctrines, but against the devil. And you say, well, the devil is in all of those things. Well, the devil is in the world. He's the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world presently, but not for long. So, of course, you see him in all those things. But Jesus, who saw all of those things, had compassion on the lost and generally reserved his, his condemnation or his accusation for people who presented themselves as of the faith but who were not focused on him, didn't even receive him. Nevertheless, Jesus was clear who the enemy was. Do you remember when they were walking through, I think it was Samaria, Jesus and the 12, and James and John, who these are two guys who really got it. They were close to Jesus. They were in the inner circle. They were Jesus's dear friend. In fact, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, not in an arrogant uh, an egotistical way, but as a as a humble expression of John's absolute wonder at the totality of Jesus's personal love for him, a kind of love that you and I can experience from Jesus too, so that you and I could call ourselves the disciples whom Jesus loved. And they, these two, James and John, they, they come to Jesus walking through this village that's got the wrong idea about God, and they do, and is doing wrong things, and not showing them respect. And they say, should we call down fire from heaven? And they're not saying that just out of the blue. They're not pulling it out of their ear. They're talking about what in the Old Testament, Elijah, the great prophet of God had done, calling down fire from heaven. So it seems right. It's in accord with the scriptures, isn't it? But it wasn't in accord with the heart of the Lord. It wasn't in accord with the spirit. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what spirit you are of. Now, we could read that and say, hmm, those silly guys, they didn't know what we know now. But what don't we know now that Jesus knows? Where are we calling down fire on people that Jesus would be saying to us, you don't know what spirit you're of? I'm asking you that question. I don't know. I don't have an agenda in this. I'm asking you that question because I'm asking myself that question. And I find that the Lord reveals to me that I've got some wrong attitudes. And even if I don't give vent to them, even if I don't say them, they're in there, in me, brewing something bad. I don't want to be of that spirit. I don't mean to say that there's never fire from heaven. There is. In fact, when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday next week, we celebrate the reality that fire comes from heaven, but it comes to redeem. It comes to fill the people of God so that the people of God could come to the lost 
with the fire of God's life and the cleansing fire of his truth and call people into repentance. Yes, there is a greater fire coming. That's true. There is a judgment of the Lord coming. But you and I are not called to carry out that judgment, though we are called to warn people of it. We are called to call people into the love of the Lord and into his light and into his life. And we are called to stand against Satan, the demonic powers in the heavens. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against those forces because those forces are like a flood and they will overwhelm you if you're standing on your own. Even if you think that where you're standing is upon the word of God, if you're not standing there by faith, if you're not planted by the spirit and rooted in the spirit, you and I would be washed away. But if our feet are firmly planted on the foundation of Christ, then we can take up the shield of faith and that shield will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In uh, ancient warfare, it was common for arrows to be dipped into fluid, into oil that could be ignited, and then they would be sent as flaming missiles, fiery darts, flaming, fiery arrows that not only threatened to do harm to the immediate individual who would be struck by them by virtue of the, the sharpness of the arrowhead and, and the, the force of the shaft being propelled through the air, but then also would be ignited. Or such fiery darts could be used to ignite uh, you know, buildings, um, um, battlements, um, resources, and to create a conflagration, a fire, that would uh, disable the opponent. So obviously, this was a way of enhancing weaponry. You take an arrow, you light it on fire, it's even worse. But here, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is referring to the fact that the enemy doesn't just throw things at us. He throws things at us that once they take root, will be like a fire unleashed. They can burn up and ignite all kinds of things in our lives, in our world. And in the midst of that, there's an increase of fear. It's bad enough if something sharp and fast is flying in the air to you. But all of a sudden, if there's a whole array of arrows like that, and they're all lit on fire, the fear is even more intense. But if you have a shield that is strong and wide, body length, I'm going to show you an image in just a moment that shows you how large the Roman soldier's shields were, then you have a covering that is so broad and so bold and so strong that you have something to raise up. Now, the way that arrows would be shot would be ballistically. In other words, they, they have an arc to them so that it's not just typically a direct uh, arrow shot, but shooting up into the air to come down. I don't know. There's something about this that makes me think of how and where the enemy often attacks us, which is often in our thoughts, in our minds. Uh, Joyce Meyer has that wonderful classic Christian resource, The Battlefield of the Mind. And there are many others that talk about what the scriptures themselves affirm, which is that it is in our thoughts and in our emotions that the enemy often takes root. And he does so with some kind of dart that not only lodges there, but ignites a fire of fury, of fear, of frustration, 
of fantasy and temptation. When you think about the things that are of the enemy, the, the, the ravaging, destructive capacity of fire often seems relevant. Lust, anger, greed, all of those are like a fire that burns through us. Division among people is like a fire that burns bridges, right? Deception is like a fire rising up with acrid smoke that that offends the sensibilities and blinds the eyes. But faith is not only a strong and broad shield, but is itself doused, as the ancient warriors used to do. They, they also would cover their shields in essentially retardant, either by um, wetting them or using other materials that were known to uh, diminish the capacity of fire, uh, metallic materials and so forth, so that the flaming arrows not only would be warded off, but if they did take um, uh, root, if they did take hold, I guess I should say, in the shield, that fire would not burn the shield, but would be put out. And that's what Paul is talking about here, a kind of faith that not only protects us from those thoughts and those emotions of fear and temptation, of fury and deception and division, but that also quenches the fire that the enemy has ignited with them through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. For it is in the Spirit that the fires of the enemy are quenched. (laughs) I guess you could say the Lord fights fire with fire. And the fire of the Holy Spirit is greater and stronger than the fire of the enemy. Now, we've talked about how the whole or full armor of God is, in the Greek, um, descriptive of a full array of every implement or element that we would need. And here you can see in this image on the slide, very large shield, nearly as large as the, um, uh, not only the torso, but even uh, about from Uh, it was sufficient that if you were to crouch down behind this, you could essentially cover your entire body with it. It could be placed over the head so that those arrows that are coming down would be warded off and yet still protecting uh, the rear uh, of the body as well. So uh, a shield that was, uh, generally speaking, at least from shoulders to, to shins. The other thing that was so powerful about the shield in terms of its implementation was that it was large enough and was um, uh, engineered in such a way that troops would be able to interlink or overlap their shields, almost like, uh, like, like armor itself, uh, armor over multiple individuals, so that like scales on a fish, the shields would overlap and create an impenetrable wall, uh, a kind of uh, battlement or fortress, movable over the entire battalion over the entire uh, assembly of the troops. There was strength in that by standing together. Will you say that? Standing together. Turn to the person next to you if there's somebody there or say to the Lord if you're watching this alone and say, I want to stand with you. I want to stand with you. When we join our faith together, What we are doing is not only enhancing the protective power of that faith over ourselves and one another, but we are also aligning together 
as the army of God in a way that can advance. Because the genius of the Roman soldiers' shields was that behind this, the entire army could advance even while the enemy was constantly shooting one after another array of these fiery darts. But it wasn't stopping the army because their shields joined together were allowing them to advance like a tank, a troop together going forward in victory. Our faith is not just for us alone. It requires us to be connected to one another. So I said that I would uh, mention during today's sermon some of my remarks. And this comes, I think, to uh, a key point that, that, that is before us today. How can we be together during this time when we've had to be apart? And I don't want to belabor these points because I think many of us are hearing a lot of good things about this. I've said some negative things about all the words that get tossed back and forth, but I also want to applaud my, my, my friends and clap my hands for many good, wise things that are being said in these days as well. And not everything that gets said is just a waste of time. It is very important, though, to be able to discern between what is being said according to the heart of Jesus and the word of the Lord, to discern the spirit of what is being said and not just the information of it. But there is a lot of good commentary being made in these days about the recognition that we all have and that has been bolstered in us, if anything, about the reality that the church is not a building, which I think we knew. We've talked about that a lot in this building, but we're living it in a fresh new way in these days. And so we know that we are together. But we also recognize that it's important to be together in person, that there's a tremendous value in that, that there are things that cannot happen in this electronic connection that only happen face to face. For one thing, there is something about all partaking of the Lord's table together, of communion together in one room, out of one actual loaf. Uh, when, when the cups have been poured out of one cup or when one cup is shared. There's something about being physically present for the physical presence of the Lord that is distinctive and necessary. I was very gratified that our president made statements affirming the essentialness of the gathering of religious communities in person. That is true, and we affirm it, and I'm grateful for that, that underlining of it and that... that, that, that uh, reinforcement of that truth in our society. But at the same time, I think we all recognize, especially here in Los Angeles, where we are in a, a hot zone, where there is a greater uh, impact that COVID-19 has made here in Los Angeles than in many other places. Some have been worse, obviously, New York City. And I don't mean to diminish the experience that any particular region has had, but definitely we here have experienced it, we've experienced it in our own church. Uh, some of you have experienced it personally, and some of you have lost loved ones personally, and our hearts go out to you with that loss as well. It's a loss of ours as well. And we recognize that this is a new virus. There is still very much that is not known about it, especially in terms of what comes next, of how it develops. Can people be reinfected? What is the long-term effect on people who have recovered? Our prayer focus for last night was on kids in COVID-19. This inflammatory system, multi-system inflammatory response that you have probably heard about, which is very rare in terms of numbers. And so isn't something to grow 
um, horrifically panicked about by any means, but is a reality. And those who've had to deal with it um, immediately and, and have lost their children through it, I mean, the pain of that is, is inconceivable to me. But it's a concern. There's a lot we don't know. What we do know is this remains an enormously infectious virus, but most people who get it do seem to come through it okay, but that doesn't mean we're cavalier about it, especially considering that we don't know what the long-term effects will be for people who do get it. And we also recognize that some people who get it die from it. And that number now in the United States, I believe, is over 100,000. So, what do we do? Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about what we're going to do because the fact of the matter is, as of today, our plan hasn't changed. Our plan has been and continues to be. We are listening to, first of all, Jesus. First of all, Jesus. I am and I'm asking you to. And we're submitting our own thoughts and feelings about it because we all have them. I have my thoughts and feelings and I can assure you, one of those is I'm extraordinarily eager to be able to see all your faces in these seats again. I'm also extraordinarily eager that we would not just come back to these seats and stay seated, that we would continue to, can I just speak bluntly, get off our butts and get out there and do the work of the gospel. And I don't want to lose that fire, but I also don't want to lose our connection face to face. And we're not going to. Listen, no one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from us. We will continue to connect face-to-face, -face, in person. We will. And being sure of that because God gives us that faith and that assurance, we don't need to operate out of any fear about it, but we do want to be wise about how we proceed. We want to be wise in not forgetting the essentialness of that in-person relationship, but also not in rushing into it out of some sense of desperation. We're connected. We're going to be connected. I remember when I moved to New York City to go to college, and uh, I was totally unprepared for it, and I've talked about it before, many of you will remember this. I was so unprepared for how much I missed home, how much I missed my, my parents, my siblings, the landscape that I had grown up in, familiar um, places, stores, shops, friends, people, just a whole atmosphere that was in that place that, that that was so different when I moved 3,000 miles away. And I remember many, many days where I just so desperately wanted to be back together with those people that I missed, that I felt like I would have done anything for it, but I couldn't. But you know, in that time, so often I felt that I was calling out to God and there was just no response. But God was teaching me to hear him in the silence. God was using that time to strengthen me. I look back now 25 years later, and I'm so grateful for what God allowed me to go through in those days because it made me stronger, it made me wiser, and it made me better prepared for days like this. And I'm not perfectly prepared for days like this either, but what I do know is this, Jesus has not abandoned us. He is here, and I want to focus on Jesus. And when I do, I can hear him. Even if he's silent, I can hear him in the silence. 
he will enable us to hear him. And I may not know the right thing to do at every point, but I don't have to. I'm following Jesus. And in following Jesus, Jesus has made it clear to us that we need to look to his word, look to our leaders in the church. I'm submitted to our denominational leadership and their guidance, our corporate council, our president, president-elect, our district supervisor. I'm submitted to all the authorities over us, the mayor, the county, the governor, the president. It gets a little complicated when not all of those entities agree, but you know what? Nobody knows exactly what to do right now. A lot of people think they do. I'm not convinced. I'm following Jesus, but I'm paying attention to what all these other people are saying, and I'm paying attention to the scientific evidence that I can, that I can gather and that I can interpret. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor, and that only by the grace of God. And a lot of times, I don't know what to do, but I'm following Jesus. So our denominational leadership, our president-elect has spoken to this, as has the president of the nation, and those things are being taken and, and, and utilized together in helping us to make our decision. And the governor of California, uh, Gavin Newsom, has announced that tomorrow, Monday, he will be um, making a, a statement of revised guidance for, for religious organizations and churches. I want to hear what he has to say. Um, and I am submitted to the leadership that is over us in the city as well. I'm also, I am here at the church on a regular basis. I see what's going on around the church, and there's a lot to be done here. We need to sanitize this building thoroughly because we want to make sure that it's as, uh, as safe for you as possible. We're not under the illusion that this building will ever be perfectly safe. Nowhere you go is perfectly safe, but we want to do our due diligence to make sure that you can, when it's time, come into this building confident that it has been prepared for you with as much uh, diligence and attention to proper procedures as possible. I think it's likely that when we resume here, we will do so probably with a limit on the numbers so that we can also practice physical distancing. And I think it is likely that many of you may not feel ready to come back when we open those doors. And I want you to know that if that's the case because you're in a high-risk populace, or because you're caring for somebody that's in a high-risk uh, populace, or because you simply uh, are feeling like it's not the time that you feel prompted by the Lord to come back into larger gatherings yet, that will be okay. We won't hold that against you. We will continue always, as long as the technology is, is available to us, to stream services online, so you'll always be able to participate that way if you wish. I would encourage you to say, let's not any of us fall into the place of fear where we're waiting for everything to, you know, the stars to align in, in perfect um, harmony so that there's no risk stepping out your door. There's always risk stepping out the door. So we don't want to huddle in fear. But I also think we don't want to rush together and, and create an environment where the likelihood of spreading the infection is dramatically increased by us. I don't want to do that to you. I don't want to do that to our neighborhood. I don't want to do that to our city. And by my reading of the numbers, I think there is still some legitimate question as to whether um, that could be a concern if we gathered larger numbers here. So at this point, we're, we're still in a wait-and-see mode. But I do believe that we are probably, I, I think, I, I hesitate to say dates because it's a moving target, but I think that it, it, we are probably a matter of weeks away 
from having some kind of gathering here in the sanctuary again. Now, I know that there are a number of pastors in California who have uh, dedicated themselves to a plan to, to uh, uh, have church services next week, a week from today, on the 31st, um, uh, for Pentecost Sunday particularly. And um, I, I pray that their services are blessed, that people are healthy, that the, uh, the community receives it well, and God bless them. Uh, I don't have a plan for us to do that at this time. Uh, I think it would be a challenge for us to work through all that needs to be done in the next week to get the building to a place where I felt comfortable doing that. I haven't yet heard from the city or the state what their response would be to that, and I think uh, I'm responsible for knowing that before we would make any determination. And also, as a subordinate entity of the Foursquare Church, as a local pastor, I am obligated and I am committed to doing what our leadership has asked us to do. And our leadership is asking us to coordinate with what our local authorities are saying as well and to consider our local situation. So in light of all of that, I don't anticipate that we will uh, have this building open by next week. But I will also say that if God moves in such a way that that becomes clearly evident that it's his will and desire, and clearly evident that we can do so in a, in a conscientious and responsible way, I'm not opposed to it. But at this point, I think that's probably less likely, and I would imagine that it's more likely that hopefully in June we could, we could see some kind of uh, phased opening. But I'm not going to commit to a date at this point. I don't think it would be wise for me to do so, and I haven't heard a date from Jesus yet. Now, I understand if you're frustrated by that. I really genuinely do. And I want you to know you can talk with me about it. And you may have something for me to hear from the Lord that I'm not going to hear from anybody else. So don't hesitate to say it. It's okay. I won't be offended if you've got a really dramatically different opinion than mine. You might be surprised that I have some opinions that I haven't given vent to that might be more aligned with yours than you think. Or maybe you're feeling like, I'm glad you're saying this and I'm not sure that June sounds good. Well, don't freak out just yet. We're waiting and seeing. We're going to be led by the Lord. We're going to be together again. It will happen, and it'll happen sooner rather than later. I want to do it in a way where we can do it with some good confidence that we don't have to split apart again immediately, that we can continue in a mode of gathering in person, face-to-face. I also want to suggest that we may want to think about how we can have gatherings that aren't in this building and yet are still more than just our families. Maybe there are some of you out there who would consider that your home could be a hub, a place where maybe more than just your family members could gather. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do that just yet because that in itself can be potentially something that could lead to increased infections. But if we begin to get some some solid guidance that, that that kind of approach is reasonable in our vicinity here in LA, then that might be something that we could think about. If parks are open, maybe a service in the park is something that PCF can sponsor, an open-air service with distancing, with masks, but with people face-to-face. Whatever we're going to do next, it's going to be what Jesus guides us to do. I'm promising you that. I'm promising you that. I don't know what that is, but I promise you that Jesus speaks to us. This is his church. You are his church. You belong to him. You are his people. He's covering you with himself. The shield of faith 
is Jesus. Jesus is our shield. He took the hit for us. He took every strike of the whip. He took every blow of the fist. It was his brow pierced by the thorns. His hands pierced by the nails. His side pierced by the spear. And he did that to shield us. He who gave himself up for us will not give us up. And he, God the Father, who willingly gave up his own son for us, will he not then with him freely give us all things? As Paul says in Romans 8. I didn't get to all my outline today. I had a sneaking suspicion coming in that I wasn't going to. You've probably heard a lot of teachings on the shield of faith. But today, I feel what the Lord wants to say to you and I is, I am your shield. Put your faith in me. Lift me over everything else. That's Jesus speaking. Put me above every political priority, every philosophical persuasion, every commitment to social justice, every doctrinal demand, everything you think you know, everything you think you have, everything you think you are, put me over it. Hold me up and I'll be your shield and protector your shield, and your buckler, and your sure reward. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the Word of God. And the Word of God says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You can't see Jesus right now, but our hope is in Him. And the evidence of Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus, comes through our faith. Our faith in him that comes from him and that will not be disappointed because our hope is in him. Have you lost focus in him? Have you wandered away from him? Have you been searching for him but feel like you're having a hard time hearing him? Are you pleading for him to come and embrace you? Are you feeling worried? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you, are you feeling angry all the time? Because that, loved one, that's not Jesus. And neither is fear. And neither is self-righteousness. Neither is isolation. And neither is loss of hope. I just want to give up. I'm just done. None of that is Jesus. Jesus is hope. Jesus is connection. Jesus is protection. Jesus is provision. Jesus is peace. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is life. 
put your life in his hands. Again, for the first time. And let him cover you with himself. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we hold on to ourselves. We ask that you would forgive us for the way that we judge ourselves. We don't have a right to do that. If by judging ourselves, we mean that we place ourselves at a lower value than you would place us at. If by judging ourselves, we mean that we put ourselves on a higher pedestal than you would put us on. But we do want to test ourselves, Lord. We want to be in the faith. We want to be in the truth. We want to produce your fruit. We want to abide in you and for you to abide in us. We want to not only have faith, but to lift it. And as we lift ourselves to you in worship, may you lift our faith, that strong shield, and connect us to one another in that strong way so that we can go forward in this strong mission, which is to bring forth a harvest in this season here in Los Angeles or wherever people may be that they are hearing this, seeing this, reading this, wherever they are, whenever they are, you have a mission for them. You have a body locally for them to be connected to. I pray, Lord, that there'd be no one disconnected from a local body in these days, that there'd be no one dismembered from the body of Christ, that they would have the headship and covering of a pastor, that they would have the iron sharpening, iron relationship of brothers and sisters, that they would be engaged in the mentoring of those younger in the faith and the sharing of the gospel to sow the seed so that they would have spiritual offspring. And for the one that is out there, Lord, that's desperate right now, I feel their heart. You're giving me the ability to feel their heart. I feel it. He feels it. That's you. Yes, he's talking to you. Yes, he's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am with you. I haven't left you. I haven't gone away. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not silent. I'm speaking in my silence. I've never really been silent. I've always been with you, and I'm never going to let go of you. But now, will you trust me? You've got to trust me. You've got to put your finances into my hand, your job or your unemployment into my hand, your health into my hand, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your fiance, your husband, your wife, your career, your goal, your education, your degree, your diploma, your, your, your party, your birthday, your, your graduation. You've got to put into my hands the political party. You've got to put into my hands your, 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 your political persuasions, the election, your leaders. Put the governor into my hands. Put the mayor into my hands. Put the president into my hands. You can pray for them and pray them into my hands and pray them into my heart and pray my heart into them. Pray for them. Don't pray out of hatred and don't pray out of idolatry. Pray in the spirit and in truth. Pray by faith. 
Put it all into my hands. Put your church into my hands because it's my church. Put your pastor into my hands and all your pastors into my hands. Put your brothers and sisters in the Lord into my hands and release them to me. Release yourself to me. Put your sins into my hands. Just, just come clean with me right now. You know and I know of your sins. Will you just acknowledge that, says the Lord? Just acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I have sins. And they offend you, Lord. Maybe I have offended others. Maybe I have harmed others, wronged others, or done wrong things. Maybe I've thought wrong things, said wrong things. Lord, I put it into your nail-pierced, blood-stained hands. And the Lord says, I receive your sins. I receive your worries. I receive your rejoicing as you put joy and thanksgiving into my hands, as you put offering into my hands, I receive it. As you put yourself into my hands, says the Lord Jesus Christ, right now I receive you. I receive you, says the Lord. And I heal you. I'm bringing healing in your body. I'm bringing healing in your mind. I'm bringing redemption in your finances. I'm restoring your fortunes. I'm giving you a future and a hope that no one and nothing can take from you. I'm strengthening you, armoring you, girding you up with truth, filling you up with hope, clothing you with righteousness, equipping you with the word, shielding you with faith, and rooting you together in my body so that when the waves rise and the winds come and the earth shakes and the fires rise, and they will, you will be able to withstand don't be afraid. These days are hard, but the Lord says, harder days are yet to come. If you faint now, how will you stand? But if you lean on me, I will lift you up. And together, having done all, we will stand. And I will make you overcomers, more than conquerors because I love you. Hallelujah. And amen. I went a little long and I forgot to bring the communion elements again. So I'm going to take a little executive privilege. But maybe this is of the Lord. I like it that God could use my weakness and my failings for his glory. I like that because I have so many weaknesses and failings that it means there's all these great avenues by which God's glory can come through. So maybe my forgetting the communion, to bring the communion elements, they're in my office again. Yeah. Maybe it's so that you could do this. If you have your communion elements prepared, as many of you I'm sure do, as this broadcast ends, you, as priests, prophets, and kings, of your home, in your workplace, as the body of Christ, as the church, you ordain and lead communion. 
You think, well, I've never led other people in communion before. Why not? Let, let today be the day. Because, friend, you're called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about how you earn your living. I'm not talking about a license. If those are things that God calls you to, hallelujah, and God bless you, and let me know. But every single one of us that follows Jesus, we are following him so that, like Paul, we could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I do it imperfectly, and I do it failingly, but I do it with faith, by faith, his faith. So take the communion by faith and administer it to your family by faith. Share it with one another by faith, with your roommates. I don't know uh, if you've got a, a neighbor or something that you want to share it with and you can do that safely. Do that as well. Or even if it's just you alone, then, beloved, know this. My prayer is with you in it, and the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. He is with you. Partake of his body and blood with him today and remember the faith. We'll be together again soon. Please be watching our Facebook page if you're on Facebook or our Instagram feed or our website, mypcf.org, because there will be, um, there are updates on there regularly about what we're doing and what's going on. We also will attempt to communicate with you via text or uh, email. If you have never signed up for our uh, text or email um, uh, newsletter, uh, if you're, you haven't done that, you can go to our website, go to the contact page and just sign up. And that way you will receive in your email inbox alerts from us when those times come. Stay connected with one another. I hope that you'll join with us in our Zoom prayer meeting on Wednesday. Uh, our prayer focus for tonight is Memorial Day. In fact, before we conclude, I'm going to say a prayer for those that we remember today who gave all for us. People for whom the shield of faith was not the only shield that they had to raise. People who were literally in battle and literally gave their lives for our freedoms. We thank God for that heritage and history. We thank God for their memory. We pray that God uh, blesses the families of those that remain. And we're going to um, celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow as a nation, but pray for Memorial Day tonight as a church. Um, and then again, as I mentioned on Wednesday, not only is it our prayer meeting, but fasting. And a week from today, we'll be starting our Zoom PSOM classes, Pastor Henji mentioned, at uh, 1 p.m., uh, the Book of Revelation with me, at 3 p.m., uh, the, uh, uh, or excuse me, um, am I saying the right times? 4 p.m., uh, for Sister Tammy's class on the Kingdom of God. If you'd like more information about that, email us at the church, info at mypcf.org, or again, go to the website, you can find it there. We love you so much. We're so grateful for your trust, your faith, and your fellowship in the body of Christ. So let's, let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this Memorial Day weekend. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring honor to the memory of all of those who gave their lives in battle for us to secure our freedoms, to protect our country, to serve their families, friends, and neighbors, and many of them, Lord, in service to you. And we thank you for all those who have served and are serving in our armed forces or in other areas in society in which they are risking life and limb to serve others, including firefighters and police forces, and especially in these days, even those in the healthcare um, fields. We thank you particularly, though, Lord, for soldiers and for warriors, and especially for those who gave all. 
We pray that the gatherings that occur this weekend would be safe, would be healthy, would be protected, would be blessed, would honor you, would honor the memory of those that have gone before. And I pray, Lord, that our faith would rise in these days and remain strong in these days, that you would secure us and protect us from every assault of the enemy for temptation, for division, for strife, for confusion, and that you would keep us rooted in your word and connected in your way and following your will by the life of your Son, according to your Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you soon.